Hi, I'm Lizzie, here with my friend Andrea, and we are your hosts for Letting It Percolate. Just as the best tasting coffee takes time to percolate, some of life's most interesting and important questions take time to truly explore. So today's episode is going to have two parts. We'll start by asking the question, what exactly happens in therapy? And we'll finish with some of our reflections on the process of making, or yeah, on the <laughs> on the process of making letting it percolate. And so kind of to begin this episode, at least the first half of it, Wizzy's going to um, share a little bit about her personal experience in counseling, uh, yeah, in therapy. So yeah, Wizzy, I'll go ahead and pass it off to you. Yeah. Um, so we are just going to briefly kind of share our perspectives as clients who have been <laughs> people who have been in therapy before. Um, we could probably talk, I don't know, at least I could talk for a long time about mm. <laughs> what counseling has been like and the weird parts of it, but also the super helpful parts of it. Um, <clears throat> but our hope in sharing just brief snippets um, from each of our experiences is to maybe demystify counseling if, if someone has never experienced it, um, and also just to open up that conversation and normalize that. So I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of experience as a client. Um, I went to individual therapy at, for the first time in, when I was like 19. Um, and so I've gone through like private practitioners. And then when I was at IU, I also utilized the College Health Center. And then after IU, I did this, what's called PHP, Partial Hospitalization Program, for a couple weeks, um, which is like group therapy. <clears throat> so a few different <laughs> types of experiences. And I remember when I first um, started counseling, first of all, I think I shared this in like our second episode when I talked about my mental health more in depth, but like I had a lot of stigma about mental health that was I was completely unaware of and I maybe had some stigma about like counseling and so I was initially like slightly resistant to the idea that I needed to go to counseling but um I went <laughs> and I remember like <laughs> expecting it to be basically like I sit down and I like word vomit my problems and they give me advice and like did you at any point picture laying down on the couch? Because I feel like a lot of people have that mental image. Yeah, like thanks Sigmund to Freud. <laughs> yeah, I did not picture that. Um, but uh, I think that's a super common image. I feel like most therapy offices try to be really like comfy because <laughs> it's like you're yes, gonna be have, going through a hard that. thing probably emotionally. So at least your physical <laughs> environment can be comfy. <laughs> um, so I've been on a couch, but like a normal couch, like sitting upright. Um, anywho, so I just thought like, it'll like quickly fix things. I'll get advice. And what I learned throughout my different like experiences as a client is that it, counseling is much more like teaching me to learn how to think differently. And that applies broadly to different scenarios as opposed to learning specific answers for like my problems. Um, and it's also notable to say that, like, the problem of depression doesn't have a specific answer. <laughs> like, it's so multifaceted. So, um, yeah, other elements that I've experienced, just, like, I remember being worried about, like, am I supposed to prepare stuff? <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> what if I run out of things to say? Like, what's my counselor going to do? Like, what's the structure going to be? And some people that I've seen... Um, are more transparent with like I'm going to be doing CBT and this is kind of what it's going to look like CBT being cognitive behavior therapy or mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing whatever sort of structured therapy or we're going to take elements of your past week or your life in general and process them whereas others it's been much more go with the flow and maybe like man behind the curtain sort of thing like I didn't know exactly what was going on and I definitely appreciated the ones that were more transparent, personally. Mm -hmm. um, and then, what? let's see what else. Um, oh, so like with my mental health, it just shifted so much 
in terms of like when I was really struggling and when I was doing good or felt like myself. And so sometimes sessions would fall on weeks where I felt like totally great and like felt like myself. Um, and I, I was like, well, maybe I don't have, like, is it going to be useless or irrelevant to go to therapy this week mm. if I'm already, you know, doing great? <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was interesting to navigate as well. Um, felt like it, it was still useful, but it's just very, very hard when you're doing well to put yourself in the mindset of when you're not doing well <laughs> in, a, mm. in a meaningful way, at least for me. Did you... Did you ever have a relationship with your therapist where you could, like, I guess where they were on call or, like, you could reach out to them um, in the times that, like, for example, if you were having a really bad week but you hadn't scheduled therapy that week, did you ever have that kind of dynamic with anyone or was it pretty strictly, like, either we're meeting and we're talking in our meeting or we're not meeting kind of thing? Um, never an on-call sort of thing. Like, I would never have, I've never had, like, my counselor, a different, like, various counselors, like, cell phone numbers, for example. But, um, I mean, there are ways to, like, at least what I've experienced to schedule a sooner, a quicker session or, like, one earlier than had originally been scheduled. Um, but I guess it's been fairly structured, like, um... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. But overall, um, well, I really, I'm not in counseling right now, but I want to get a counselor in like the near-ish future um, for various reasons. But the, one of the bigger, biggest things I appreciate about counseling is for me, like I can be like somewhat emotional and I often feel the need to temper that in, even with close friends at times. But the therapy space is specifically designed so that it's like I can just let loose <laughs> if necessary, and I don't and like it's a safe space, and I'm not going to like. Well, my counselor might feel overwhelmed, <laughs> but like that's her job. Um, so I've really appreciated just having that space where it's like, okay, I can totally just let it all out. <laughs> mm. um, and I think also the other main thing is learning the basic skills of counseling, so like coping skills and um, within CBT, there's like cognitive distortions such as black and white thinking um, and other, th- other similar like building blocks, just learning those and being able to put words to them for me has been super, super helpful, so. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so, Yeah, if you started when you were 19, so you've had, what, almost eight years, like, obviously in seasons. Right, um, yeah, not constant. Like, not, yeah, not constant, but you've also experienced a lot of different modes of therapy, and I'm kind of almost envious, I don't know, maybe that's a weird thing to say, but my experience is more limited in terms of, like, the mode, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I think it's cool that you've gotten exposure to, like, group therapy and um, the other forms you mentioned, too, so, yeah. Um, I guess just to share, hopefully pretty briefly, about my experience as a client in counseling, Um, so touching on what I just mentioned, I have always been in a one-on-one setting with one exception I did like a intensive counseling retreat it's technically like I was the one being counseled the only one um but I went with like a a mentor like a support partner I don't know exactly what to call her (laughs) but and then there was also someone shadowing the counselor I was meeting with so there were actually four of us in the Mm. room that was a really cool experience Mm. because they were able to, like, chime in with their perspectives on things that either I or the counselor maybe didn't see, like, some of the patterns Mm. or me using a certain word a lot of times or something. But, yeah, otherwise it's been pretty strictly one-on-one in, like, an office. Uh, Normally a comfortable office, though, like you said. Like, normally there are nice (laughs) pillows Pillows. and blankets and (laughs) the lighting isn't too bright. And it really makes a difference. It It honestly does. (laughs) so, yeah, I a few things came to mind when I was reflecting on 
um, my counseling experiences. And I am in counseling, counseling actively right now, too, so that helps a bit. I think every time the way it started out is, Andrea, like, tell me what your goals are. Why are you here? And that's normally pretty easy for me to get to just because I'm naturally goal-oriented. And so I like framing um, counseling around goals. But I will say, in my experience, it's not been like a, okay, today we're going to focus on this goal and we're going to work toward it. It's been this big hodgepodge, like, mixed bag and sometimes we'll we'll return to the goals and like remember okay this is what we were working toward but it's it's not like you're running a marathon and when you get to the end of 13.1 miles you've arrived it's just a lot more ambiguous and I think that's okay um something that's really been helpful to me in counseling is being able to say out loud the things that are in my head or sometimes being like subtly forced to say the things out loud that are in my head gently gently encouraged um (laughs) encouraged there it is encouraged (laughs) i i'm pretty i'm a pretty internal processor Mm. and um i'm kind of comfortable just keeping everything in my head so it does have to be drawn out sometimes Mm. and um so that's been helpful And also just hearing someone else's affirmation or if there's a point of understanding, like if they can understand why it is that I believe something or how I got to a a place and then point that out to me, like, oh, it makes sense that you would have responded like this because of this. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful and I've appreciated that. Um, And yeah, I guess the other big thing that has been positive in my counseling experiences is an opportunity to reframe issues. Um, I I don't know, maybe we're all like this, but I sometimes just see things really one way. Like, well, um, because I had this certain outburst with a family member, I am an angry person and kind of like anger is who I am. And so that is a little bit more of a black and white way of seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, And I want to be careful because what I'm not saying here is that in counseling, people have just, like, tried to (laughs) make me feel better when I've made a mistake. Like, oh, don't feel bad about yourself. You shouldn't feel guilty. Mm. But helping me to clarify where are the places that I should feel like it's right to feel guilt because I've messed up. And where are the places that maybe I've put guilt upon myself Mm -hmm. because of my own standard that's literally just like nothing like it's meaningless it's just mm. something in my head that I decided if that makes sense yeah, so yeah. um that's been helpful like a specific case where I've worked through that recently is with introversion and extroversion even though I talked about this on an episode toward the beginning of our season about how those are morally neutral things there's not a good and a bad it's just a spectrum but I still fight that. Like, there's so much in me that wants to be an extrovert, and I'm just not. And when I try, I burn myself out, and people can see it. Um, but recently, I kind of discovered with my counselor, I'm really introverted. Like, I'm not even just by the line. I'm really introverted. I need a lot of alone time to recharge. Um, and when I'm not protecting that, I go into social situations, like, exhausted before they've started mm. and not enjoying them. And so I've been working on, like, how how do I advocate for my alone time and for my, um, like, quiet mental space and that kind of thing. And just not seeing those as good and bad, like, not seeing it bad to be introverted has been helpful. It's enabled me to start to practice opening up with people like, hey, I'm not mad. I literally just need some time alone and then I'll be very happy to talk to you. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, all of those things have been takeaways yeah. from my personal counseling experience and yeah, just really good stuff that I'm thankful mm-hmm. for the opportunity to work through. Yeah. Um, I wanted to comment on what you said about like understand the counselor helping you maybe understand like or connect dots between oh you had this this and that experience in the past and maybe that's connected to what you're currently reacting to and just Mm -hmm. kind of like building those pieces of understanding um 
I think that's a huge piece of just like fundamentally what a lot of counseling at least is about. And I guess this is like tangentially connected, but one of my supervisors at my an internship in grad school where I was working in a college counseling center, <laughs> um, <laughs> she kind of like framed the concept of therapy as like your client, the client is navigating, like walking through a dark cave. And so it's like their cave. And so they know it. And like, they're maybe the expert in the cave, but it's dark. And so the therapist like has a flashlight to kind of show like what's each next step. Um, hmm. And that flashlight is just like the therapist training and expertise. Um, so I thought that was a interesting way to conceptualize it. Yeah. I, I would affirm that. Like, that's what it feels like. That's what it has felt like to me. And I, I would add to, um, like, obviously you're really early in your practice. And I think there are benefits to working with someone who maybe can relate more, like, age-wise or, like, mm-hmm. generationally. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd say I've kind of had across the board in terms of ages, but my current counselor is, um, like, sig- like a few generations ahead, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. And she's been counseling for, I think, about 30 years. Wow. And so having counseled for that long, she just has this wealth of, like, knowledge of patterns, awareness of patterns, because she's seen human beings um, <laughs> in, like specific but also kind of zoomed out ways or she's able to zoom out on all the specifics of her individual clients and see the patterns form yeah um and so i think that's hugely beneficial because Mm -hmm. i don't have that kind of life experience and i'm not meeting with people talking about their um like issues and challenges regularly like she is and so i think that's part of the value in like paying to go to counseling Mm -hmm. over um maybe just like getting advice from a friend or self-help self-help books or something like that um and neither of those things I'm like discouraging but yeah I just think it's hard to beat 30 years of watching people in counseling settings work through their problems Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of understanding that comes from that yeah yeah that connects to I was gonna say uh, just as you mentioned I have pretty I I'm a therapist, but I I just got my MSW like a year ago, so pretty limited experience thus far. But um, I've noticed through my like practical experiences in grad school as like a intern therapist and also in my current job, um, like teaching, there's a certain element of counseling that can be more like teaching. So like psychoeducation, like I'm going to help you understand like about the brain or about human behavior, like, things that you do just have to learn. You have to be taught. Um, So there's, like, a teaching element, but there's also, like, a guidance element, like, we've been mostly been focusing on. But um, I've noticed being the one in the, the person who's doing the teaching and doing the guiding, it's helped me internalize some of those, like, lessons that I said I've learned as a client Mm -hmm. um, so much more than if I had not been a therapist (laughs) like it's helping I think like you talked about life experience with this woman having 30 years of like work experience in as a counselor which that in and of itself would be impressive but then like you think about that's like however many hundreds of clients she's had all of their lives like in a sense she almost has elements of that many life experiences in some way that she can like weave together like you said and see patterns um so maybe i'll get there someday (laughs) we'll see um but i think we also kind of wanted to just really quickly work through some questions people might have about like counseling that i might be able to speak into given again limited experience but Things like worrying about your counselor judging you, depending, you know, mm. you saying something like that you think is off the wall <laughs> and like, yeah. Have you ever had that or other like worries, Andrea, regarding like Definitely. your counselor? Definitely. Um, I, so, hmm. 
I'm not going to say that actually, but (laughs) (laughs) I, yes, I have definitely asked Mm. if, asked myself, like, is my counselor judging me? Will they judge me if I say this thing? And I can think of a few instances Mm. and, like, with specific counselors that there's not some stuff, there's some stuff I did not share, um that I Mm. was willing to share with others. Mm. And I think even if it wasn't, like, super conscious, it was fear of being judged or, like, condemned Mm. um, versus accepted and, like, receiving grace. Yeah. Um, Like, still great, great counselors, but... And, you know, I guess maybe it's important for me to say that's my perspective. It could totally be the case that none of them were ever judging or would have judged. And yeah, mm. I, but yes, no, yeah. I have asked this question. Yeah. And, and wondered, I think you raised like a really good point that is important for, to like acknowledge that there are bad counselors out there. Hmm. <laughs> like there's a whole spectrum from like straight up harm that is being caused because of non-evidence-based therapies being implemented or like straight up malpractice and quackery <laughs> to like to someone who's like yeah maybe not mature or not developed themselves or they're a counselor who hasn't themselves been to therapy which most a lot of programs require Ooh. that um for good reason So like maybe they're not self-developed and that can cause harm to the client and then the other end of the spectrum that i think we've both experienced is like a wise counselor and a good like a good counselor so like there is a total Mm -hmm. like that happens um i think the other end of the spectrum of like malpractice and that is hopefully less common (laughs) but important to acknowledge that like that unfortunately that Mm -hmm. that's out there just as with any any practice um but yeah i know what about (laughs) oh go ahead go ahead after you. <laughs> oh, the chivalry. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try. Um, I was just going to say, like, uh, I think it's almost ironic in a way for, for like, 99.999% of people who end up coming into counseling and the thing that they're most nervous about sharing because they're most insecure about it or worried that it's weird or that they're going to be judged or something like you're talking to someone who like for a living listens to people's weird stuff (laughs) like (laughs) oh that's so true so it's likely to be the it's likely that um you're not going to be judged in this particular thing like maybe you would be among your friends or among other groups (laughs) um sadly but it's i would say in some ways least likely to occur that sort of judgment in from a therapist, from a good therapist, at least. Hmm. Yeah, you know, they've probably heard just about everything, especially, you know, if they've been practicing yeah. for a while. So yeah. you make a great point. Um, not that, Not that we should only be vulnerable in situations where we're pretty confident we won't be judged. <laughs> Right. Um, but right. at least, like, to know this is a setting where it's it's a safe space. Um, they'll probably be understanding on the other side. And, like, I kind of feel like counselors have one of the more accurate depictions of how broken and messed up humanity is mm. than a lot of professions. Uh, mm. Feel free to disagree on that, but... Because they're hearing a lot of people's, like, deepest, darkest stuff that they're trying to work through and past regrets and mistakes and all of that. Like, they're probably not really that shocked to to find out what humans and what we are capable of or Mm. what we, you know, like, what we think and what we've done. So, I don't know. There's some, like, weird comfort in that as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. What about um, the question that you touched on when you're talking about being a client? What if I run out of things to say? From your perspective as a therapist, Mm. do you feel obligated to fill time if there's silence? Um, How have you handled that when it's happened so far with your clients? So if that happens, 
like the, my first thought is like what's going on like are they nervous but like have things to say but are nervous and need like maybe like you said to be drawn out mm-hmm. um or are they like avoiding like relating to the topic of trauma like are they avoiding avoidance is a key like symptom of trauma are they avoiding something that's uncomfortable to talk about or are we nearing the end of the therapeutic relationship and they really just don't have anything else to say and like we're going to be closing out soon like it depends on the answers to those questions how I would like go about that in session but I would say that when clients that I've had have been quieter or like stop talking (laughs) like it doesn't freak me out like that's just kind of part of the process of the therapy session and I think there's this there's a space for silence strategically um but also exploring like what is this about like are you just what I said of those other questions and exploring that with a person um so to me like from the perspective of a therapist now that I if I could go back and tell my younger self like is I feel like it's very normal and not like not a problem like that's kind of like the therapist's job is to like take it from there um, now if the issue is they're not doing they're not putting in effort into therapy like the therapist is working way harder than the client at like trying to talk about things or work through things then that's a different sort of problem um and that can be talked about and worked through as well within the session. But, yeah. Hmm. Is that frustrating to you if you feel like you're trying to make someone talk? I don't ever feel like I'm trying to make someone talk because I've, I've kind of acquiesced. Like, <laughs> um, people are going to do what they're going to do. So if they're coming to a session and they're not talking, I'm going to do my job to explore those questions that I've already stated and provide a therapeutic space and a safe space to open up. But if they simply don't want to open up, like maybe we can do a mindfulness coloring activity together silently. (laughs) (laughs) Like maybe that could be therapeutic. Hmm. And, you know, if it's a repeated thing, then that's like, again, that should be explored deeper. But um, yeah, I don't feel like I'm making people do things, generally speaking. I have a hunch um, feel free to weigh in on this. I have a hunch that most people could talk for most of their therapy sessions, um, like, could fill most of the time. I'm sometimes... Yeah, and that's, like, almost always yeah, the case. That, okay, that's what I was yeah. suspecting. I, I'm often surprised yes. at myself. I can think of a few more <laughs> recent sessions where I just didn't have something, like, pressing I need to say for a few minutes, and so my counselor just talked. Um... But yeah, I'm often surprised at how much I talk. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I don't want to get us too off track, but I, I do think now more than ever, like, there's not, we're not as great as as a society at, like, slowing down and listening to someone and, like, letting mm-hmm. them feel heard. Um, it seems yeah. like there's, and I, I totally do it too, like, there's always a phone within reach or we're, like, mm-hmm. making dinner while we're talking to them on the phone. Um, there, or yeah. there's just, like, efficiency, like, the desire for that creeps in. And just distraction. Like, I sometimes I just feel distracted. And so I think it's unique and important to guard the space that is counseling as a time when someone's attention is totally on the client. And... Um, I, I just, mm-hmm. I sense that meets a deep need in us as humans to feel like we're heard, um, not even to have our problems resolved sometimes, just to feel heard by another mm-hmm. human. So, yeah, I yep. I think that's a good thing about counseling. <laughs> yeah. The last quick thing that has come up, some of my clients currently are... Um, content to bring this directly to my face (laughs) (laughs) directly Um, to my face the uh, question like the counseling relationship is unique in terms of like all human relationships for many reasons the primary of which being it's very one-sided so like you if your client hopefully (laughs) 
you're a good counselor, you're not just like in a friendship with your counselor to where you know what your counselor is doing that night and you know all your counselor's friends and like, you know, your counselor's problems. Like it's a specifically designed relationship that's about the client. And so the counselor, and there's a range within this, but the counselor largely is like supposed to not self-disclose too much. Hmm. And so that, for some people, that can feel very uncomfortable because it is totally not normal in the context of, like, the rest of their relationships in their life. And so I've had had clients just, like, ask me a bunch of personal questions, like, well, what are you doing tonight? And how are you doing? Because I'll be like, hey, how's it going? When I first, like, show up at someone's place. And they'll be like, good, how are you? Like, what were you up to last night? I was like you know it's not about me is that what you uh, say like what it what I say depends on my like on the context mm. but I do self dis- so because I work in the home-based world meaning I meet clients in their homes there is a bit more self-disclosure that ends up happening and I know I'm not like I know other people on my supervisor's team do this too because it's just so much more of an intense setting than outpatient like in an office um and so I do I'll say random things but I really restrict what I actually share about like any friendships or relationships or family relationships or any of that because at the end of the day like they don't need to know and worry and think about that like what if I share something about my family and then they're processing something with like family drama and they have to worry about how it'll impact me. Hmm. Like, that's completely inappropriate for the counseling relationship. Um, so I usually deflect. <laughs> <laughs> or if they're a kid, I'll say, I don't answer questions about myself. <laughs> I just can be even more direct with children because they're like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> no they're still done. being socialized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think it's, it's good to acknowledge, like, it is weird. It is, like, totally unique. There's likely no other relationship in your life where it's it's almost yeah the counselor is not entering in in the same way by design and if that kind of relationship did exist outside of counseling it'd probably not be (laughs) healthy (laughs) yeah oh (laughs) yeah hmm well i i definitely have asked that question personally so it's helpful hearing your perspective and like the client focused priority that mm-hmm. can trump um having what in other contexts would be a normal like casual conversation so right and like i said there's like total gray area like so therapeutic rapport is really important and so sometimes like what i learned in grad school and i think this has been super helpful for me and other like peers of mine who are therapists is like, when we're about to self-disclose something, to ask ourselves, like, what is the purpose of me doing this? Hmm. Is this for my benefit to feel better? In which case, it would not be appropriate. Or is this for the client's benefit because it would benefit in a, one of a number of different, like, elements of therapy? So it's just to check, like, our own motivations as therapists when we do self-disclose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems like a good question to get to that point. And requires a certain level of selflessness. Like, just recognizing this isn't about me right now. Right. We're not here for me. Hopefully that's what every counselor signed up for. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Um, Okay, cool. I, I hope that this was helpful for listeners to understand, maybe have a little bit of a... Um, what am I trying to get at? Just a little bit more idea of what's happening because we've referenced therapy counseling throughout our show. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, hopefully it seems a little bit demystified through that conversation. We did want to also just highlight some just other ways to explore like personal growth that are not some kind of or form of counseling Um And two with this, I just want to say, I remember from, I think it was that second episode that we did, um, I think I threw counseling out as, like, something that's easily, easily accessible, and I just want to acknowledge, I realize for many people that's not the case, and, um, 
I think it's unfortunate. I I hope that mm-hmm. there are more opportunities, like through community development or um, government funding or school funding, for people to be able to access it. Um, kind of because of that, we wanted to talk about some of these other methods for these other like personal growth channels. Um, so one that came to mind for me was journaling and. I know that this might sound kind of basic, but truly when in the seasons where I have committed to journaling and not put too many requirements on it, like just kept it really open-ended, it's been surprisingly helpful. It's something that um, currently I do every night before bed and It can be just a few sentences. Sometimes it's just, I feel like this right now, or this thing happened today. Or um, it can come out sometimes in the form of a prayer, like, God, there's brokenness here or in this person's life, in my own life. And I just am requesting that you would heal this or change our perspectives on it. And so mm-hmm. it, it's amazing though. And I don't know, maybe external processors might find it less helpful, not sure. But for an internal processor to get the words out of my brain and onto a paper that I can see outside of me, there's something about that act that just like, it's not magical, but it it is kind of enlightening. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is what I'm focusing on right now. This is what's at the forefront of my brain. And it can be helpful to move on from it, too. Like, okay, I wrote it down. I gave it its time. Like, I gave time to think Mm -hmm. about it. And now I'm going to move on to something else. Whether that's, like, reading a book or watching a show, reading my Bible, talking to someone. It just, it kind of creates a boundary or a barrier. Um, Anything you would add to that one, Lizzie? I totally agree. (laughs) (laughs) Proponent of journaling. Yeah, (laughs) It's taken on different forms for me across the years. Oh, one thing I was going to add is the cool, like, what's sometimes cool is to be able to look back, like, for example, like, a journal five years ago mm. and be reminded of um, different life circumstances or to see, like, prayers answered. Um, and I think it, particularly, like, just connecting this to mental health, like, it's so easy for me to forget, like, how awful things were at certain points and then to see the like growth and healing that -hmm. has happened and to be thankful for that so it can be useful in that sense of like having a record um and although yeah that's that's just one thing but yeah, I also agree, like, I used to be much more, like, structured, like, self-imposed rules around journaling when I was younger, but as I've allowed myself to just, like, say this journaling is my thing and I can do what I want with it, <laughs> it can look, even if I write, like, diagonally on the page, which I have before if I'm laying it on my side, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, it. like, to, to feel the total freedom of that or to have it be like poems and prayers and journaling and venting and like I've enjoyed that personally just letting it be Mm. Uh, another one that we came up with is check-ins with friends whether those are like a regular thing that is scheduled or just randomly (laughs) as they're on your mind or um, like, as you feel like you need to talk to someone. And, yeah, I think the ease of this probably depends from person to person. I think, for myself, I've learned it's easier to have, like, a regular or something, like, somewhat scheduled, um, with someone to, like, look forward to it and, like, plan for it and stuff. I I have a friend who will joke with me. She's like, all right, Andrea, I want to hang out sometime in the next, like, nine months. So, can you just, like, can we get something on the calendar between now and, like, nine months out? She's, like, super spontaneous. Like, would literally do something at the drop of a hat. Wouldn't care at all if I just called her out of the blue. But, um, and 
you know, I, I do that with some friends. And for me, like, I'm trying to grow in that. But I also mm. can't hide the fact that I do prefer things to be scheduled. And <laughs> I, I don't know exactly why that is, but there's, like, a sense of comfort mm. in that. So, regardless, yeah, I think just yeah. having those people that are go-to people and, um, like, reciprocating where possible as well, just to, like, yeah. receive support and to receive love and grace when it's needed and to give those things when it's needed. I think that mm-hmm. can be a really huge thing. Yeah. Um, and that interconnects. We also were thinking about just the various forms of media, so, like, reading books, podcasts such as this one, <laughs> <laughs> and also the other, like, million podcasts. I recently heard that their Apple podcast has, like, one past the one million mark on like wow the number of podcasts that are out there so i believe it i bet we tipped the scale <laughs> i bet we did we it. were the one million and one <laughs> <laughs> um audiobooks music um for different people it might like look different what is what proves helpful but a lot of like books music and podcasts that have been formative or super helpful for me, I've been recommended by friends. And so that's nice. I also constantly like send links to my friends and like <laughs> Accurate. share things with people. <laughs> um, so yeah, those can interconnect, but also as like a solo activity to be able to read or find music. This is uh, really, I'll be quick, but this is maybe an ex- obscure note on the music thing. Mm. I think knowing what kind of music will, like, build you up when you need it, but also being aware of what kind of music tends to bring you down. Like, I, mm. um, and avoiding that in times when you're already feeling low. Like, I've mm. learned, um, even pretty recently, I've learned... There's certain genres or, like, artists that will put me in a mood. (laughs) Um, Like, music has a lot of influence over my mood. Um, Mm. At least on some days, it seems like that. And so, I've Mm. actually been kind of intentionally not letting myself listen to songs, certain songs sometimes, when I'm already feeling pretty down. To not, like, allow myself to draw that out any further. Um, Mm. And... I guess I don't want to say this is, like, a rule, but maybe just something worth thinking about. Like, it's not bad to to feel, like, to sit in sadness or grief or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, sometimes what I need in the moment, I think, isn't to hear another song that will make me continue to feel those things more deeply. Yeah. And instead, it's like, no, I need to call someone and, like, hear about their life and be excited for them um, mm-hmm. and, like, kind of crawl and draw myself up out of my own feelings if that makes sense mm. yes and amen <laughs> i need to hear that because i have a tendency to do that as well um i've been talking with this is another quick tangent but just talking with people recently and this connects to just like as a therapist being aware of different people need to hear different things like some people some friends need to be encouraged to feel their feelings mm because they push them down or are afraid of feeling them or uh, there could be numerous reasons someone doesn't want to feel whatever it is they're feeling deep down um whereas I and other people have kind of the inverse struggle of um like stewing and dwelling and feelings and like really marinating in them in an unhealthy way at times (laughs) and so I don't need to hear the word like it's okay to feel your feelings I need to hear like what you just said like crawl out of your hole and see the sunlight and talk to someone and get out of your own head um so i appreciate that (laughs) great uh all right now i'm gonna awkwardly transition us from the the (laughs) therapy and counseling portion of this episode to our reflections on our podcast experience so um Yeah, it's been, this podcast has been in the works for a little over a year, and um, we kind of, we started it out with a Google Doc that now has, I don't even know, do you want to guess how many? 
Oh, I just looked. Oh. Shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, Okay, so it has like 20, I felt like there were more than that topics. Oh, sorry. 20 page. I, this is what happens when you cut people off. Oh, it's 20 pages. Okay. I was like, wow, that, I really uh, highballed it in my head. Yeah, there's, there are quite a few different topics. 35. I'm going to look. Yeah, that sounds more like it. Um, that we just, Lizzie and I, when we would think about it, we'd just kind of like add an idea for an episode to the doc. And in some ways it's sad because we feel like just a lot of those are going unexplored on this podcast, but it doesn't mean that they have to go unexplored in our lives. Mm-hmm. So hopefully we get to talk about some of that stuff. Um, we also, so um, quite a few of you actually helped us out at the beginning when we were picking what topics to do for episodes we sent out a survey and i think almost all of those we ended up hitting um but we prioritized the ones that got the most votes and i believe the single the episode on singleness was the like top Mm -hmm. vote episode so um that was it was kind of fun just to like see what people were interested in um And one other thing I'll say real quick about the initial planning phase that was really fun for me, I think it was fun for you too, Lizzie, (laughs) was the wordsmithing. So I don't know, probably a lot of you, I don't know, you may not even care about like the description for our podcast or the little blurb we say at the beginning and the end, but we easily spent hours (laughs) wordsmithing the heck out of those um, like specific thesaurus like phrase, dictionary yeah oh yeah we dabbled in the thesaurus <laughs> yes everything we looked at other podcasts to see like how much they said how specific or like uns- non-specific they were and it was really fun yeah um, we loved it <laughs> it was fun to work with someone else who like cares about specific words like was willing to talk for 30 minutes about whether we need to use an and or an or, like, that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, So that was part of our initial planning phase. That was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. Did we want to say, like, researching... So, like, our topics, uh, for people who have, like, listened to other episodes, some of our topics, like, we have personal experience with or a certain certain modicum of expertise on <laughs> but other other ones we did more intentional research like especially for like the the previous episode um and mm-hmm. also yeah just good to research generally and um try to not be biased you know that being a, a premise of our whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> One, like, little blurb about our technological process. So, um, my brother set us up with this software that we use to record, which probably nobody cares about. But in the process of learning this software, which I will add is very... What would you say, Lizzie? Like, it's it's incredibly technical. Um, yeah. It's, it's very not, straightforward, but it's not necessarily user-friendly. Yes. Like, it's not totally... Uh, an intuitive interface. Yes, yes. Um, and so, Lizzie, do you want to share about what helped us out a little bit with figuring yeah. that out? <laughs> so we just were searching. I think I did a Google search, and then I did a YouTube, specifically a YouTube search for, like, tutorials on certain elements, specifically with, like, mixing and editing. And we found this delightful man who <laughs> <laughs> whose name is Unfa. That's spelled U-N-F-A for the visual learners out there. (laughs) And I think he's Scandinavian of some sort. He has to be. He has a little accent, um, which only adds to his charm. Um, I'm not crushing on him. It sounds like I am. (laughs) Um, But he also has long, flowing, straight hair, um, which is Again, not crushing on him. Totally not. But he did his own, like, Ardor, which is the name of the software we use, um, tutorials and explained certain things. And that was just a fun surprise. Unfa, the Scandinavian man, teaching us how to use software. (laughs) (laughs) And didn't you recently find him in another video? Yeah. This one YouTuber I watch did this thing. And at the end of this thing, there was credits within the thing, like, 
Wow, that was really confusing. Um, <laughs> basically, there are credits for part of this one YouTube video that I was watching. And Unfa was in one of the things and he did some something having to do with mixing the audio or like sound. I was like, yeah, it's my man, <laughs> Unfa. He knows what he's doing. Yes, so he's famous is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned this, Lizzie. We, from the get-go, um, we both wanted to provide, like, an, an fairly open-ended perspective on issues, and balance was a word that came up a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, we wanted to offer a balanced look at some of the topics we've covered. Um, I think singleness is one where I felt like we were able to offer a good balanced approach. People might differ on that, but... Um, <laughs> One thing that was hard, though, as we were trying to be balanced, and I've gotten some feedback on this from um, some people in my circles that have listened, is, like, the fact that you and I are both Christians and that our faith is, like, a central... It is central to, like, who we are and how we see the world. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just something that inevitably impacted the way we talked about things and our perspective. And I do think we probably were not as balanced as we could have been in some episodes because of that. And that's not me saying that I didn't think what we were sharing was true from my personal convictions, but Mm -hmm. like the, some of the feedback I've received is, well, of course you would reach that conclusion. Um, Like for example, when we were talking about like the misconceptions we've had about God, well, even the word misconceptions implies (laughs) that there are things, um, that we got wrong about who God is and not that God actually is that way or is Mm -hmm. those things. And someone, like, highlighted that to me, and I I appreciated that feedback a lot because, um, they, I mean, they were right. And there's, you know, if we were to go forward with a second season, um, which we're not, this is not me, like, (laughs) (laughs) suggesting or implying that, but if we were, I do think I'd see a lot of value in having some people of different faiths, um, or who um, maybe don't really have a defined spiritual set of beliefs on the show to, like, hear what they would say. Because I I think some of the critique maybe was just, like, there wasn't another perspective represented. So how can you call that balanced? And I agree. (laughs) I think it's a valid point. So Yeah, yeah. That's definitely something that I've thought about a little bit in reflection. Yeah, there's, like, just a slight bit of an echo chamber going on. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Although we did actively try to be aware of that and counteract that. I think there's a certain degree to which it... With any two people who share a number of convictions, that would be inevitable. So, yes, definitely acknowledge that. Um, Yeah, one cool thing, as we have done the past nine episodes, um, just, like getting into a groove with how we do our episodes and getting more comfortable with each other. I think at first, <laughs> anyone else who does a podcast or other like recorded speaking will be able to understand or relate maybe. Like Andrea and I have had many, many conversations in our friendship, but something is unique about recording them. <laughs> and so it took a certain level of like... um getting comfortable with each other in in the context of recording um with a flow and like who's gonna say what and when and will it sound natural will it sound scripted and just feeling more comfortable as the episodes went on that was Mm -hmm. like a sweet thing to to observe and avoiding the cheese factor i was big (laughs) on that like i do not want us to have a cheese factor as much as is possible (laughs) (laughs) yeah so as far as like I don't want to spend too much time on this. <laughs> this isn't like a pat ourselves on the back moment. Um, but just like acknowledging that Lizzie, you and I are different. <laughs> and we knew that before we did this episode. But I, I really do think it's one of the reasons, or b- before we did this podcast. But I think it's one of the reasons that it has turned out um, just as it has. And that it's been fun and enjoyable. And I think of the two of us, I tend to see, like, what's right in front of me and, like, what's concrete and kind of focus on that. And you were the one to often bring us to, like, a higher level. Um, 
as far as ideas go. And so I think there was a nice tension there of, like, okay, so, yeah. like, here are the, the things we're dealing with right in front of us, but also on a grander scale, like, bigger picture, this is what is going on or what we can think about. Mm-hmm. And um, one other, like, maybe more defined difference between us that hopefully has, like, made it more enjoyable for listeners is naturally you gravitate more toward emotions, like your own and others, thinking about them. Mm-hmm. And I gravitate more toward facts. And, like, sometimes I take a little bit longer to tap into the emotional side. Um, but I, yeah, like, the logic or understanding, like, what actually happened mm-hmm. sometimes is where I tend toward. So I think it was good. We both got to practice seeing each other's point of view. And um, also, hopefully, like, a more holistic view of the topics we were discussing. Right. Yeah. Just want to give a quick shout out to, um, like, personality differences. (laughs) What a weird thing to shout out. Um, (laughs) Like, so I'm thinking of, like, just really quick. I know we've talked about the Myers-Briggs in the personality episode we did and how it's not necessarily super rigorous scientifically, but... Though the two things you just said are kind of represented by two of the letters S versus N, sensing or intuitive, and feeling versus thinking, F or T. And I think we have the inverse ones on both of those um, <laughs> things. Um, but, and sometimes people misuse like quote unquote types to say, like, oh, well, if we're so different in this way, then we're not compatible, whether romantically or friends or what, whatever the context is. But I think it has so much less to do with that and more to do with, like, other more fundamental things. <laughs> like, <laughs> like core yeah, values. just priorities, or... values, yeah. Um, so, case in point, our friendship <laughs> for both, if you're, like, an ISTJ and I'm, like, an ENFJ, um, and we can produce a cohesive podcast. Hopefully it's cohesive. Um <laughs> Yeah, Hopefully we're maybe not just too blinded to... by our yeah, yeah our, our own echo bias. chamber of our faith. Yeah. Um, I just to echo our personality episode and say like, as much as I love talking through types and stuff, particularly with the Enneagram, but also with others, like they just they don't they aren't they aren't as important as sometimes we make them out to be. Hmm. Much to my regret, but you're right. <laughs> to, to be totally transparent, I think one thing that draws me in about the Enneagram especially is, like, it seems to make sense of what otherwise is chaos in my mm-hmm. mind. And it gives this probably yes. false sense of control over, mm. like, how I'm relating to different people or what our relationship dynamic is like. Hmm. And... um like, I don't want to use it as a crutch in that way, but I I do think, yeah, for me, sometimes that's, like, why I want, I want it to be everything, but you're, you're very right. There's, like, so much more in a friendship, in a romantic relationship, in mm-hmm. a family relationship. There's so much more than just a number. Otherwise, like, basically everyone on the planet would be one of nine kinds of people (laughs) and like (laughs) yeah it would just like it wouldn't account for the diversity that exists yeah yeah it's like okay very clearly there are more than than like nine different people on the planet so (laughs) there's something else going on (laughs) we can safely say that much (laughs) there's not a whole lot we can put our fists down on in this world but that is one of them (laughs) oh man that's good that's good. It's really not. Please don't print that on a magnet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe just a last thing we'll highlight um, and then kind of transition us to our closer. But we have both really enjoyed talking with you guys, our listeners. And we've loved the feedback, um, the honest feedback that we've received. Um A lot of you have suggested different topics for us to cover, and we got to cover some of those, and some of them we didn't. Um, 
But I think if we had all the time in the world, we would want to. I know, especially from my friends at work, I got a lot of really <laughs> interesting episode ideas um, that we just never really got to explore. But I'm really thankful for that. And um, I know at least a couple people have shared, like, that they sent a link to an episode to a friend or someone else. And um, I hope that even people outside our circles were able to be impacted positively because of this. Um, but yeah, from the get-go, there's definitely um, a handful of people that have just been really supportive of us. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm very shout thankful. Out. Yes, huge There's a shout good out. shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, we don't judge shout out quality, but <laughs> um, yeah, just very, very grateful. And um I, I know I'm sad to see this come to a close. It's been really fun. Mm-hmm. It's been a great project and yes. something to pour energy into and to learn more through. And mm-hmm. yeah, I I definitely am not going to regret the time that went into making this child, that, if you will. <laughs> um, <laughs> Our baby. That was really weird. I, I wish <laughs> I, I would made not it weirder, have said so. it like that. <laughs> I rolled with it. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, I guess that's that's all I have to say. (laughs) Did you want to say anything else, Lizzie? Or no, I second everything you said. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for putting it so beautifully. (laughs) Guys, thanks for tuning in to the last episode of Letting It Percolate. We hope that you connected with what we talked about in today's episode and that your thoughts have been and will continue to be sufficiently percolated. 